Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Hello, and welcome to Gunfighter Life, the podcast where we talk about gunfighting the right way with God at the center and Judeo-Christian values. So saddle up for a new episode of Gunfighter Life. Today, we're going to be talking about carrying in the backcountry, in the woods, in the wild, lions and pigs and bears. Oh my. Whatever kind of gun you decide to carry in the backcountry, know what you should probably carry in the backcountry is a good knife. Guess what we're giving away this month as a Patreon raffle thanks to one of the current patrons. He's offering up one of his K-Bar knives. It's a K-Bar Folding Hunter. You can see pictures of it on the Patreon page. You don't have to be a patron to see the pictures. We're going to do a raffle giving that knife away to one patron at the end of November. If you've thought about becoming a patron, then now might be a good month to do it. If you want to support this podcast and appreciate a good, honest opinion on guns and things like that, I don't have any big corporate sponsors on the show. In the past, when I was big into competition shooting and things and I didn't really think about it, I had sponsors. But I don't think that's an honest way to do business because I wouldn't be giving you an honest opinion. I'd be influenced on who my sponsors were. If I was sponsored by Springfield, I probably wouldn't be able to tell you that I think Springfield sucks for most of their products. And I say that because I've had real-world, first-hand experience with them, and I find their handguns subpar. Or if I used to really like Remington, but lately their products, since they went bankrupt, have been really bad, at least in my experience. Hopefully they turn that around, but I'm going to give you the honest opinion on that. If you appreciate an honest opinion, not just saying everything is good. At one time I wrote for online things and gun magazines and things like that but i quickly realized that if you write a really good piece they'll publish it but if you write an honest piece about something that's really really bad they don't want to publish it and that's sad but if you want and appreciate an honest opinion on things the way that's going to continue and grow is if you step up and support it the number one way to do that is to become a patron there should be a link in the show notes you can also get there via goodshepherdtraining.com goodshepherdtraining.com and you might just end up thanks to a current patron a really nice K-Bar folding hunter knife with that I'm going to plug in the bio if you've heard it before or don't care who's talking to you or why you should listen to them then you can go ahead and skip around 3 minutes and 45 seconds we'll get into the topic who am I? a question we should all ask ourselves. I am, first and foremost, a servant of God made in his very own image, a follower of Jesus Christ, a simple man called by God to the Great Commission to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Next, a little bit about my background and what God has allowed me to do and blessed me to do in life. 
grew up what most would consider very poor in the backwoods of the southeastern and mid-Atlantic United States, hunting and fishing. Joined the Marine Corps at 17, did a couple of combat tours in Iraq, so a decorated Marine Corps combat veteran, infantry assaultman. After the combat tours, I was an urban warfare instructor for the United States Marine Corps under Mojave Viper. I also served in the U.S. Army, both full-time and part-time National Guard. Also a veteran of law enforcement, I served with LAPD. I was a sworn peace officer, a cop for LAPD. I worked regular patrol assignments and more specialized assignments. One of those more specialized assignments was warrant service, fugitive recovery. Also had some other law enforcement roles. I am an FBI certified firearms instructor and been certified by another three-letter government agency in a lot of firearms and training things. I've also been a private contractor, worked in the private sector, pertaining to tactics and gunfighting and protecting America from enemies foreign and domestic. I served as the commander of a tactical team to stop active shooters in a large metropolitan area. That was our primary mission, to stop active shooters, which sadly are a thing in America today. I've also been blessed to do quite a bit of competition shooting. Started my first formal competitions even before joining the Marine Corps at 17. I had one more shooting competitions than I can remember. I have competed in all manner of disciplines in shooting. I've been blessed to be a state rifle and pistol champion, West Coast regional champion. Like I said, been blessed to win more shooting competitions than I can remember. Mentioned hunting, I've hunted to put meat on the table starting when I was a child. I've also been a professional big game hunter and guide, hunting and slaying all manner of beast. And I don't apologize for that. Humbled to be the host of three podcasts. Simple Man Sermons, Alpha Male Podcast, and Gumfighter Life. Obviously, as things not mentioned, I've been blessed to do many other things. But, again, first and foremost, I'm a servant. A servant of God, a believer and follower of the Bible, the Word, Jesus Christ. And I don't apologize for that. With that, let's transition into today's topic. So what should one carry in the backcountry as far as firearms go? All kinds of other things you should probably carry. But this is gunfighter life after all. I guess that depends on where your backcountry is. This was a Patreon request because I just got back from with the wife from a very blessed trip to Yellowstone if you've never been there. I'd encourage you to try and get out that way. It is beautiful. Now I lived and was stationed in Idaho for years and years. I've lived here several times all over the state. One of the few places in the country where there are grizzly bears. 
there's not only grizzly bears, there's black bears, there's mountain lions, there's moose, there's elk, there's buffalo, there's all kinds of awesome fauna in this part of the country. That being said, grizzly bears are pretty much unique and coastal brown bears, which are the same species but a different subspecies. We won't get into that that taxonomy. They're just really big bears, let's put it that way. So, they're a whole different animal, literally. If you are familiar with the story of Ishii, Ishii was the last wild Indian to stumble into a town in California. Ishii Wilderness is named after him. And go back and read this story for yourself because it's fascinating. But he, I'm going to paraphrase what he said. There's two kind of bears. The bears you can mess with, and I don't think he said mess with. But the bears you can hunt and be around. And there's bears you don't ever want to mess with. And those are the grizzly bears. They are their own thing. If you are in legit backwoods grizzly bear country or coastal brown bear country as in Alaska... Then, yeah, a 44 Magnum and right around there is going to make a lot of sense. A 44 Magnum is an awesome round. Grizzly bears and brown bears are quite a bit larger than black bears, and they are known for being quite a bit more aggressive. But that only applies to a very small pockets of the country. So I'm going to start with that caveat and then move away from there, because for the vast majority listening, that's not really going to apply. We're going to talk about what most Americans, and I know I have listeners from Australia and South Africa. I don't know if you can even own handguns for self-defense in those countries, sadly. So this may not apply to you either. But for the majority of our American listeners, the things you have to worry about that are semi-unique to the backcountry are going to be black bears, mountain lions and feral hogs and I do believe wolves are going to be their own special thing in that same pocket of Alaska and the Yellowstone Idaho Montana Wyoming area I didn't mention wolves for a good reason this came up in a conversation with my buddy the other day you know how many adult humans wolves have ever been known to kill in the history of the United States zero they have been known to kill kids like young children. But as far as adult humans, I'm not aware of any case of wolves killing an adult human. So again, we're talking about black bear, feral or wild hogs, and mountain lions. I think for most Americans, that's the things unique to the backcountry that you should be concerned about. I'm going to talk about a couple really good crossover calibers or calibers that would be good for that. We already mentioned the 44 Magnum. It is an awesome caliber. It is a great hunting round. If you're going out hunting with a handgun, to me it's that sweet spot where you get a good, powerful handgun without being ridiculously comically big. If you're going to hunt with like a 500 Smith & Wesson because you just want to, that's cool, but... They're basically a crew serve handgun. They're so big, they, you may as well be carrying a rifle. Let's be honest, you're doing it because it's cool and because you want to. Those handguns, in my opinion, are too big to be practical. The 44 Magnum, and less common, but still in that same frame size, is the 454 Casul. 
That's about as big as I think is actually practical. If you get away from that, you get into the X-Frames and these gargantuan handguns. Like I said, they're handguns kind of in name only. The 44 Mag is a great hunting round. It is legit for going out and hunting those creatures, deer and elk and the creatures we mentioned that are somewhat more dangerous and predatory. If you can hunt with them, you can certainly use that round for defense. Be wise with your ammo selection, the same, and we'll get into this later, but be judicious in your selection of ammo, but the 44 mag all day long is a great caliber. Likewise, the 357. we have to remember that the 44 mag, when Elmer Keefe and some others were developing that, up before that, the 357 Magnum was the most powerful handgun round, and people hunted all over the U.S. with it. The 357, with being even more judicious with ammo selection and bullet type, is a phenomenal killing round. It is great for hunting deer, and yes, elk, and black bear, and wild hogs, and mountain lion. It will certainly kill all those for hunting. It's good for hunting. It is certainly good for defense, and it has the reputation and I believe the stats for perhaps the best stopping one-shot stopping power for a handgun. Don't believe 44 mag was counted in that because it's very uncommon for somebody to carry that for defense because it's such a big handgun. But 357 Magnum is known for being a good stopping round. Hence it would make a very good handgun round. In fact I think that the 357 perhaps perhaps is the most flexible and well-rounded round period stop end of sentence full stop 357 may be the most flexible round period you can load it down with solid lead rounds to what i would consider powder puff loads and a 38 special which if you don't know most guns that will fire 357 will fire a 38 special revolvers, lever action rifles, single shot rifles. Load those down to powder, powder puff loads and take grouse with it, take rabbit with it. You can load them up hot with hard cast semi wad cutters, 180 grain, and you can pretty much hunt anything shy of those big brown bears we talked about in North America. And it's also a great defensive round. You can put it in a rifle, you can put it in a handgun. It is perhaps the most flexible Swiss army knife of rounds Again, period, full stop. 357 Magnum is a good round. On that note, the 357 SIG is not as flexible. On paper with 125 grain rounds, it is right up there with 357 Magnum. However, some of the best rounds for bear and things like that are not your 125 grain rounds, which is pretty much what you're gonna find in a 357 SIG. I know you can get some other stuff, but it's far less common and it's less flexible of a round. And because it's in a semi-auto, you need a certain amount of power range. If you go too hot, you're gonna break your gun. If you go too mild, you're not gonna cycle the slide. So you don't have that flexibility that you get in a revolver, that you get in a lever action rifle or a manually operated firearm. But a 357 Magnum revolver, there, I know 44 mags aren't crazy comically big, but a 357 is more towards a normal size handgun, a good 4 inch or anywhere between 4 and 6 inch, 4 inch, 5 inch, 6 inch, good 357 Magnum is an awesome gun, would be awesome gun for the backcountry, wouldn't be a bad choice for defense. I'm talking your normal day to day defense. So if you're looking for the best crossover, that might be it. I think the best value and 
really well made are the GP100s. There's also the new Colt Pythons. An old Colt Python, you're probably collecting that and not carrying it in the backcountry. And of course your Smith & Wessons, which are, in my opinion, probably the best. Without getting into like a Quarth or something. Let's talk about another great crossover caliber. How do you make the 9mm better? Well, you could add another millimeter to it and you'd get the 10mm. The 10mm is an awesome round. It is a great crossover round and people do hunt with it fairly successfully. It is a fantastic round. And I would say, although not as flexible as a 357 for reasons already stated, it is quite a good round for medium to large game hunting and for defense against Again, black bears, mountain lions, wild hogs. The fact that people take that hunting shows you that's in an effective round. Again, with good ammo selection, if you get good rapid expanding hollow points built for, let's say, anti-personnel purposes, it may not perform very well on a thick, fat black bear. But the 10mm is certainly a capable round. And if you're going to go 10mm, I sully it by going Glock. Why not go with a 1911 pattern? That's just my opinion. Most people will probably disagree. But if you're going to go 10mm, in my opinion, go Delta Elite or something like it or go home. But if you want like a 10mm Glock, more power to you. It'll certainly do the job. If you can do the job. As far as ballistics go, it's capable on those kind of game. An honorable mention, the 41 Magnum is awesome. Anything a 10mm will do in a semi-auto, the... 41 Magnum is just a little hair better than that in a revolver. They're just very uncommon, but it's certainly a great round. Think of it as a good go between the three between the 357 and the 44 Magnum. It's kind of a really good but forgotten round, the 41 Magnum. I haven't done a better Noah cartridge on that one. I probably should, but if you see one and you reload and you want to grab it, they're a great gun. Every once in a while, like Smith & Wesson and other companies, will do a run of those because they do have kind of a small but dedicated following. It's a good round, the 41 Magnum. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Now let's talk about ammo selection. I think as important or more important than caliber. Even if you have a 44 mag, if you get some rapid expanding made for personal defense, light for caliber, hollow points, it might be a worse choice than let's say a hard cast lead buffalo bore load for 9mm. I know that sounds crazy, but look at it with some empirical data and see if that's not true. Ammo selection is super important. Does your everyday carry load, which is designed for humans, give enough penetration for what you want for your likely target? That is important. And again, a lot of these loads are designed with CCW in mind, and that's fine. But are they legit? One of the big criteria you'll know 
that I espouse is whatever your practice load is, whatever you're practicing with, you ought to have a carry load that you know will expand with a high propensity out of your gun, your barrel length, because just because it works good for your local PD who's shooting a full-size handgun is kind of irrelevant to you if you're shooting a subcompact gun. I hear that advice all the time, that carry whatever your local PD carries. Well, that could be horrible advice for a couple of reasons, one of which being if you have a substantially shorter barrel, there's no guarantee that round is going to expand out of your gun. It's designed to expand out of duty size what I would call full-size fighting handguns that cops usually carry. If you're not carrying that same gun, there's no guarantee that it's going to expand out of yours. But having a load that shoots the same point of aim, point of impact. So if you haven't even done this for your concealed carry, you need to get on that. Don't trust your life to something unproven. If you're practicing with a 115 grain ball, if that's what your gun's sighted in for, that's what you know where you'll shoot at 25 yards, at 15 yards, at 7 yards... Then you load it up with 124 grain plus P carry ammo. There's no guarantee that it's going to feed, number one, unless you've tested it through your gun, that it's going to expand, or importantly, that it's going to shoot the same point of aim, point of impact. So once you have all that established, if you're going to carry a different ammo, likewise, you should make sure that it's going to shoot same point of aim, point of impact. It's going to be reliable when fired by you out of your gun. And again, look for desirable ballistics for what you want it to do. And the backcountry may be different. One thing we've kind of forgotten about in modern ballistic hype, and there's great advantages and advancements that have happened in handgun technology in the past decade, and especially two decades, bonded bullets, short-barreled loads, all manner of things. But sometimes lower tech is better. A semi-jacketed soft point may be what you want for this. A hollow point may expand too much. A semi-jacketed soft point without a hollow point may expand just right if you're being attacked by a bear. It's a go-to, let's say a classic example, is a 158 grain semi-jacketed soft point for game hunting with a 357 Magnum. And let's not forget about the classic hard cast semi-wad cutter. Hard cast means it's got some kind of antimony or some other element in there besides lead to make it a little bit harder. Tin, antimony, whatever. I'm not a metallurgist, but they put stuff in there, and you can put stuff in there too if you're making your own. I have casted quite a bit of lead. You can put stuff in there to make it harder. A good hard cast semi-wad cutter. If you don't know a semi-wad cutter, kind of look it up. But it's known for penetrating very deeply and disrupting a lot of tissue and continuing on a straight line path even when it contacts things like bone. It's been known for that for decades and decades. It may be a better choice than the most advanced super expanding hollow point rounds for this application. I'm not telling you to carry... You know, your go-to defensive handgun all the time with 180 grain, 357 hard cast semi-wad cutters. But I'm telling you, for these applications, if you can get one that shoots the same point of aim, point of impact, it may be a better choice. Hard cast semi-wad cutters are kind of a legend in this for a reason. They're low-tech, 
They penetrate really well. They have taken who knows how many medium to large game animals. They're good for this. You'll see buffalo boar, and I get no kickbacks, I get no sponsors from this, but you see buffalo boar a lot of times will load a hard cast semi wad cutters. If you're in the semi-auto world, you may also want to go towards a truncated cone, and I do this anyway with my practice loads because they're more akin to my carry loads, but you may want to go heavy for caliber. I generally go to 147 grain in my 9mm. For carry loads, for my accuracy practice loads, if I'm practicing a quick draw at 3 yards, the difference is kind of academic. And I might shoot some cheaper 115 grain, but if I'm actually doing practice point of aim, point of impact, I like 147 grain with a similar bullet profile and everything else to shoot the same point of aim, point of impact as my carry load. I vacillate between kind of two of these pairings. The Spear Lawman 147, I should say three. The Spear Lawman 147, the Blazer, which I believe is a subsidiary of Spear 147s, and the Winchester 147 grain train and defend. And a lot of times my carry load that's in my gun on my hip right now is a 147 grain Ranger T. While truncated cone rounds in a semi-automatic are the most similar to that bullet profile of a semi-wad cutter, much more so than your standard 124 grain NATO ball. Those do feed really nicely. If you have a finicky gun, that may be the place to go. But I don't think they're as good if you are going to use a deep penetrating, non-expanding round. I think they're inferior to heavy for caliber 147 grain truncated cone round. They have a lot of those similar things that the old hard cast semi-wad cutters in days of yore had. So you might want to consider all this when choosing a load for the backcountry. And it doesn't matter if you have the super cool 10 millimeter Glock Model 99 XL. That's a double stack 10 millimeter. I know that's not the actual model. If you put fast expanding light for caliber rapid expansion hollow points in there and you're shooting a fairly decent sized bear or hog, that's probably a worse choice than a 9mm with very judicious choosing of ammo. Some loads out of a 10mm are fantastic for this. But again, that is probably more important to me than the caliber. So that the importance of ammo selection should not be understated. Now let's talk about the other option. What a lot of people carry in dangerous bear country and things like that. A 12 gauge with slugs. A good 12 gauge with slugs. A Mossberg 500, a Maverick 88. They're not expensive. A pump is the least I would go because it's the most affordable that gives you a reasonable rate of fire. Single shots are obviously just as powerful for one shot, but you got to reload them. You only get one shot. So, I mean, a good pump shotgun is far cheaper than most of the handguns we've talked about thus far. Just carrying a pump shotgun, a 12 gauge, a 20 gauge, with good slug selection, a good deep penetrating slug, is far more powerful than than the handguns we've talked about so far. Now, do you want to hear what I carry? What does the alpha male host of this Gunfighter Life podcast carry? Someone who has been blessed and gotten through being a professional gunfighter for the majority of his adult life. Some of the nastiest streets overseas and war zones and some of the nastiest streets in the country, LAPD, 
being a professional hunter most of my adult life i've taken wolf i've taken more bear than most been a professional big game hunter and guide and carried in that capacity what do i carry in the backcountry well i should pause to build suspense right that's what that's what a good order would do dun 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 what do i carry I carry the same thing I carry every day. I carry the handgun that I'm most comfortable with. And here's why. How many people do you think get killed by bear every year in the U.S.? I couldn't get hard stats because it really depends. But do your own research, but it's like single digits. Same thing with mountain lions, even less. And like I said in the beginning, wolf, I'm not aware of any adult human ever being killed in the United States by wolves. You know what does happen in national parks and state parks every year? People get murdered. That's right. I think your number one threat in a national park, in a state park, in a wilderness area is still people behaving badly. People are still your number one threat. I carry a handgun day to day on the small slim chance that I have to deal with one of those threats. But look at the numbers. And I had a hard time getting hard stats on this too because is, are we just counting national parks? Are we counting national and state parks? Are we counting all wilderness and BLM land? But hundreds of people go missing, presumed dead, murdered in national parks state parks things like that from the research i did and go verify this for yourself by the testimony of two or three witnesses a matter is established hundreds far more murders i believe in national parks state parks assaults violent crimes by people far more dangerous even still than bear than mountain lion than pigs my wife was just listening to a book. She likes to listen to audio books and stuff, as, as I do as well. And it was talking about this profile of a serial killer. One of the things he liked to do is target people in forests, national parks, things like that. And, and for, I mean, if you think about it, if you target those people in those remote areas, it's a lot harder for them to call help, get for help, for there to be witnesses. And sadly, you know, predators think about those kind of things. So the predators I'm most worried about, whether it's in the backcountry of Idaho or southeast L.A. where I used to work, is people behaving badly. And I think the numbers will bear that out. And here's the thing. Even if I have to deal with one of those animals, and like I said, I've killed more bear than most. I've even killed a wolf. Haven't killed a mountain lion yet, though. It's on the list. But that doesn't negate the fact that it's far more likely to have a run-in with a person trying to rob you or do something nefarious or even murder you. I mean, that stuff happens. It's not super common, but it does happen. That's why we carry guns. I think even if it's in a national park, even if it's in a remote section of a state park or whatever, that's still a much more realistic and reasonable threat than getting attacked by a mountain lion or a bear. And here's the thing we talked about. For most Americans, mountain lion wild hogs and bear now i know there's all those hogzilla pictures and stuff and pigs get really big a lot of those there's debate whether those are actually feral hogs or like raised for hunting 
those pictures, do your research on that. But most, I looked up an average for feral hogs in Texas, and that's 130 and 110 pounds. Again, do your research on that. And I know they can have thick skulls and thick scapulas and things like that, but do your research. Any decent defensive round with decent ammo selection ought to do fine on those sized animals. Likewise, black bears. Yes, I know a black bear can theoretically get like 500 pounds, even bigger. But that's really, really rare, and that's especially rare on the East Coast. Really rare for a bear to get that large. And I couldn't find an average for black bear, like Eastern black bear. I looked and looked. I couldn't find an average weight. But for them to get that big is very rare. All that to say, I carry the gun that I carry, whatever my go-to carry gun is. My go-to carry gun is a 1911. That's what I carry. My go-to carry gun right now is a SIG 226. That's what I carry in the backcountry. If I'm really worried about Big Bear or something like that, like when I went to Yellowstone, yes, I did bring a 12-gauge shotgun, and I did have deep penetrating slugs on there. I'm not telling you to do what I do, but I think... Logically, that's what makes the most sense. I think I'm far more likely to have a issue with people behaving badly than I am with an angry black bear or an angry mountain lion. Now, I did, and I, as I said, I've killed many bear, and I actually did this year have a mama black bear snapping her jaws at me, literally snapping her jaws at me not that far away. But I didn't shoot her because she was a mom bear with cubs. And she'd have charged me out of shot her. But in general, if you stand your ground, most black bear in general don't want to kill you. Now again, I had a gun on me. I drew my gun. She was snapping her jaws at me. She had at least one cub that I saw. Backed away. Gun out. And you know, I didn't feel undergunned with my SIG 226. And when I did that, I took the carry gun that I normally carry. If I didn't think it was the best carry gun for most situations, I should probably carry something else, right? And I'm a big fan of shot placement is important and being familiar and being well trained with the gun that you carry is important. As you might imagine from my background, I have been in some pretty, how shall we say, hair-raising situations. And that's not the time to be wondering what gun, what weapons platform, single action, double action... Revolver, where am I carrying it? That's not a time to be thinking about that. That should be all automaticity at that point. The only way you're going to get that is to practice with that gun all the time. So why would I switch if I'm expecting some kind of crazy situation to something I'm not familiar with? And again, I think, and I think the numbers bear out that you're still more likely to have issues in state parks and national parks and public lands with people behaving badly than animals behaving badly. Anyway, that's my take on it. I do really like 357s. I do really like 44 Magnums. I like 10 millimeters. I have been blessed to do more handgun hunting than, and I'm blessed to do this. I don't take any credit for this, but than pretty much anybody that I, that I know of. Can't recall the amount of medium to large game that I have harvested with a handgun. When I was a police officer in California, 
A lot of those boys, and nothing against them, who were cops, they hadn't grown up hunting, and they, some of them, really had an aversion to killing animals. When there was a problem animal, and that call came out, if I was there, I usually jumped on it. So I got to take out a lot of problem animals. And you know what? Whether I shot them with a 9mm, or a 40 Smith & Wesson, or a 45 ACP, the shot placement was far more important than the caliber. And again, I've done that more times than I honestly can remember. Anyway, that's my take on this subject. I hope you have enjoyed this episode of Gunfighter Life. If you have, I hope that you'll consider at least going and checking out Patreon. If you're not familiar with Patreon, it's 5 bucks a month. There's a lot of really cool content on there for patrons. Also, if you want to be, be part of a Patreon chat, which is really cool. Today we had a discussion on there I'm very blessed to be a part of, and I, I asked the group of men on there, if you could pick a combo gun, like if you were going to make your own combo gun, meaning two calibers, over and under, a real common one, a 22 long rifle, 410, what would your combo be? And I got a bunch of responses on there. I think my combo would be a 30-30 over 410. I think that would be a great combo gun. What would your combination be? 30-06 over 22 Hornet, something like that? If that seems like the kind of chat you want to be a part of, you're the kind of man that can be respectful in a chat to other people's opinion, we'd love to have you on Patreon. Anyway, with that, the tactical tip of the day. You know what's cheap? 550 cord. You know what's light? 550 cord. You know what you should probably have as part of your EDC in your pocket? Yep, 550 cord. A few feet of it rolled up. I use 550 cord all the time. It comes in handy for all kinds of things. Comes in handy in the city. It comes in handy in the back country. Comes in handy for hunting. Can come in handy for all kinds of things. From fixing a rifle sling to repairing or replacing a shoelace. Or patching up a target on range day when something's not working right. There's all kinds of things you can use 550 cord for. And again, it's cheap, it's light. And if you're listening to this podcast, I'd say odds are you probably have some laying around. So put a couple feet of it in your pocket. Now the tactical verse of the day, and I was listening to the Bible being read audibly today. And I heard this verse, and when I heard it, I was like, that should be the tactical verse of the day. I think it's very fitting. Now this verse of the day is from the 17th proverb. Better to meet a bear robbed of her cubs than a fool bent on folly. Amen to that. Better to meet a bear robbed of her cubs than a fool bent on folly. With that men, thanks for listening. And whatever we carry, blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war and fingers for battle. Psalm 144. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. 
At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.